all the power of the people and the province that would assail them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Shushan the palace. Amen. So today we pick up with part two of our study of the book of Esther. And I don't know how far we'll get. We only got through about a third last week. And hopefully we can make a little bit more progress than that today. But we'll see what uh, time and the Lord will allow. Praise God. Why don't you put your Bibles down and uh, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's ask God to speak to us uh, through the teaching of His Word today. Can we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord for just a moment. Jesus, we love you. I thank you, God, for your goodness. I ask you, God, that you would hear me today, that you would help me, that you would touch my lips, God, that you would speak through me as your servant, Lord, that you would talk to this people. I pray, O oh God, today that you would enlighten our minds and open our understanding. And Lord, let us be more like you as a result of this study today. Draw us closer to you through the pages of your word. Let your anointing rest not only upon me, but upon the hearers today, God, and let them receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save their souls. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you just praise him one more time before you're seated, everybody? Come on, let's, let's worship the Lord for just a moment. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Master. You are great. You are great. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, please bear with me as I try to be brief in my review of the things that we covered last week for the sake of those who were not here. And again, I say, if at any point when we're teaching a series, uh, if you miss a lesson, just stop by the sound booth, let them know. We'll provide you with a CD of the previous lesson uh, just to help bring you up to speed. There's no cost for that at all. Just stop by the sound booth and let them know, and they'll take care of that. But let me let me see if I can be brief in uh, bringing everyone up to speed as to where we left off last week. We started introducing this book of Esther to you, this being the final book of the books of history in the Old Testament. Uh, beginning with Genesis through the book of Esther, it's, it's been a book entirely of the history of the Jewish people. And uh, we, we dealt with that. We dealt with how that uh, uh, beginning with Second um, Kings, Second Chronicles, or ending in Second Kings and Second Chronicles, we find the story of the Jews uh, who have now been divided into two separate nations, being taken captive away, one into Babylon, one into Assyria, and they are left there as captive people. Uh, then we have studied the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that talk about the, the passage of time and uh, how that... Uh, they began to return from their captivity back into the land of Israel. In the book of Esther, however, this is, uh, this is another story altogether. And as I pointed out to you that um, this story, according to some historians, takes place between chapters 6 and 7 
of the book of Ezra. You'll remember that I pointed out that between those two chapters there is an 80-year gap. Uh, there was a group of remnant that returned to Israel uh, that began working on the rebuilding of the temple. And then 80 years later, there was a second group that came back. What happens in the book of Esther takes place between those two uh, remnants coming back into the land of Israel. And, uh, and, and the book of Esther does not deal with those who come back. But instead, it deals with those who chose to stay in the land of their captivity. Now, we spent a lot of time last week talking about these people and what they represent. I did remind you that uh, there were about two to three million Jews in captivity. And of those two to three million, only about 50,000 of them returned. That's, uh, that's about two percent. There were 98% of the Jews that did not come back. This was in spite of the fact that God told them to come back. God sent them back to their land. God wanted them back in their land. But some of them had grown more comfortable in their captivity and did not follow the will and plan of God. I pointed out to you that uh, really those Jews who chose to stay in captivity are a type of what we would call worldly Christians today. That they want to be called the people of God, and yet they want to be as much like the world as they possibly can. They want to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world. They're still trying to live in their captivity while claiming to be the people of God. God was not happy with what was going on, but God did not abandon them. In fact, doesn't the Bible tell us that He will never leave us? We might walk away from Him, but He'll never walk away from us. And this was the case with the Jews who were still in the land of their captivity. Uh, they, they chose to not obey the voice and command of God. They had a lot of excuses. They thought they were valid reasons. To not obey. And isn't that the way it usually is? When we don't want to do something that we know we're supposed to do, we'll find justification for it. We'll find a reason to convince us ourselves in our own minds that it's all right. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing because of X, Y, Z. But I'm going to tell you, if God tells you to do something, there is no excuse. Are you going to help me this morning? There is no excuse for disobedience. Amen. We talked about King Saul. And, and, and this was way back in, in uh, 1 Samuel. We talked about how God told him to destroy all the Amalekites. And he said, well, we want to keep some for sacrifice. God will be pleased. I've got a religious reason for doing this. But the prophet said God is more interested in obedience than he is in sacrifice. Forget all your religious reasons you need to obey. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And so the Jews chose not to do that. And the book of Esther talks about what happened to those who decided to disobey God and stay in their place of captivity. Now, we, we pointed out to you that one interesting thing about this book, it is the only book in the, in the entire Bible where God is not specifically named. There is no reference to the Lord or God or Jehovah. There's no mentioning of His name in this entire book. 
And, and we talked about the reason why. And I, I quoted to you from one scholar who said that he believes, and I agree with him, he believes that God, who inspired every book in this Bible, that God chose for His name to not be associated with this bunch because they were living in disobedience. And though God helped them in their time of trouble, He did not want His name associated with them because of their disobedience. And that's an extremely important lesson for us to learn today. Amen. Amen. But I also pointed out to you that although the name of God or any title of God does not appear in this book, there is perhaps no book in the Bible that greater shows the providence of God. You remember me defining providence for you. Providence is unlike what we call miracles, where God parts the Red Sea or shuts the mouths of the lions. Providence is where God works through natural situations to bring about His perfect will. We talked about Joseph being an example of providence. There's no real miracle. He's he's thrown in prison. But he's put in prison with two people that one of them is going to get him out of there. Now, we wouldn't really look at that as a miraculous intervention, but it is providence. It's not coincidence, it's providence. Are you hearing me this morning, church? There's a difference between coincidence and providence. I don't believe in coincidence for the people of God. I believe in providence for the people of God. I believe that God orders the steps of His people. I believe God works all things after the counsel of His own will. I believe the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I believe in providence. Amen. I believe God uses natural events to bring about His own purpose. He puts people in the right place at the right time. We talked about that last week. We we began giving you an overview of the book of Esther, showing you that the book really falls into two equal parts. Chapters 1 through 5 deals with the anticipation of an impending crisis. The crisis being what we... uh, referred to in our text today, a law was passed that it was open season on the Jews. Anybody during certain days, anybody that wanted to could go out and kill the Jews uh, and, and they would be immune from any kind of punishment. They, they could shoot them, uh, not shoot them, they could, well with bows and arrows, they could shoot them. They, they could behead them, they could stab them with a sword, they could do what they wanted to do and, and there would be no judgment against them. This law was passed. In the land of captivity. And that's what this whole book revolves around. The first five chapters lead up to that point, And the last five chapters deal with how that was overturned. So that's, that's the way you look at the outline of this book. Uh, now, we began breaking the book down chapter by chapter. And actually only got through the first three chapters last week. We're going to see how far we can get today. But but uh, let me remind you, chapter 1 deals with the feast of Ahasuerus. Uh, he was the king, and uh, he, he had a kingdom that stretched from India to Ethiopia. It was divided into 127 provinces. The capital was close to present-day Baghdad uh, in Iraq. And, uh, and, and he threw a six-month-long party. Six-month-long party. Uh, and at the end of this six months, uh, he took one final week for a great celebration. And at the end of that week, he called for his queen to come and parade in front of the others, and she refused. And uh, we, we talked about all that last week. But, but we also dealt with, and this is important to the whole story of the book, how that the king, uh, his counselor said, you cannot allow rebellion to go unchecked. 
If somebody's going to disobey authority, it cannot be allowed to just go unchecked. It's got to be dealt with because, they said to him, rebellion is, con- is contagious. If it goes unchecked, it's going to spread like wildfire. You've got to deal with it, and you've got to deal with it swiftly, and you've got to deal with it harshly. And so one act of disobedience on behalf of Queen Vashti, one act of disobedience, and she is removed from being queen. It's over. There's no second chance. It's done. It's over with. Hallelujah. And, uh, and so they needed a new queen. And, and this was uh, what, what begins then to happen in chapter 2. Is that they put out the word, we're going to try to find a replacement for Vashti. And we talked about the other young ladies who came before the queen. And uh, the commentators all tell us, and the scripture seems to imply that... Um, the others decked themselves out, painted themselves up, put on all kinds of baubles and beads trying to impress the king. But one little Jewish girl said, I'm going to go in in my humility and my simplicity, and either he likes me or he doesn't. And guess who the king chose? The one who was unpretentious. The one who wasn't trying to be gaudy. The one who wasn't trying to impress him by artificial means. And she was the one that the king chose. Amen. Now also in chapter 2 was another very important story that plays out. We're going to get to it today, hopefully. Uh, but what happens in chapter 2 now, Esther, the Bible tells us when, when Esther is introduced to us, the Bible tells us that her father and mother had died and one of her cousins, Mordecai by name, had taken her in to raise her. And so he became her, we could say, foster father or adopted father. And, and so he's raising uh, Esther, and he's the one who's counseling her, and he's the one who's advising her, and he plays such a prominent role throughout this book. I said last week that if it had been left up to me, I would have called this the book of Mordecai. But God didn't ask my opinion. He rarely does. In fact, I, he rarely asks any of our opinions. <laughs> He knows a lot better than we do what to do. But if it were left up to me, I would have called it the book of Mordecai because really it is Mordecai who is the driving force throughout this story. Now what we find in chapter 2, here's Mordecai, foster father of now Queen Esther, who just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Over here's a couple of guys who are planning a conspiracy to, to overthrow the king. Mordecai heard it. Well, his adopted daughter is sitting in the palace. He sends word to her. The conspiracy is overthrown. And the Bible just drops the story at that point. It just tells us this is what happened and then forget it. It's, it's done. The men were not successful. They were, they were dealt with and, and it was over. And there was no conspiracy that was played out in the story because of Mordecai. And the story is dropped at that point. Then... We, uh, we come into chapter 3 and we are introduced to another uh, character. This is a man by the name of Haman who we could say is prime minister of, of the uh, kingdom of Persia. He was second in command only to the king. Now he's, he's got quite an ego on him. Quite an ego. Um, do I say it or don't I? Um, kind of like 
the State of the Union speech the other night in which we were told it wasn't about our president, but he used the word I some 90-something times in 70 minutes. Um, it is all about him. But anyhow, Haman had quite an ego on him. He, he, he really thought so highly of himself, and he was so proud of his political achievements and so proud of how high he had been able to climb the ladder of success But there was a problem. Every time that Haman would come in or out of the palace, there was a man there. Everybody else is bowing. Oh, great, Haman. You're a wonderful guy. We really give you praise. You're you're great. You're powerful. They're all bowing before him. And there's one man there that just looks at him and says, I'm not bowing. Now, that one man who refuses to bow happens to be Mordecai. And Haman gets mad. And Haman said, we got to do something about this. Now, what I pointed out to you last week was, was that this is the way the devil works in getting us to focus on the one person that gets under our skin. Rather than all the good, all the people who love us, all the people who reach out to us, all the people who try to help us, what we want to do is focus on the one bad person. And that's the way it was with Haman. I mean, everybody in the kingdom is bowing except Mordecai. Why not just forget him and go on? But Haman couldn't do that. His ego would not allow him to do that. And so Haman comes before the king. And he said, you know, king, there is a people. And you can read it. That's what he says. There is a people who won't obey your commands. We need to just put them to death before they just... Mess up everything. Well, the king's not really paying attention. Doesn't really ask who it is. He trusts Haman's judgment. So he said, sure, here's my ring. You write the law and, and sign it with my ring. And it's, it's settled. It's established law. Now, one other thing we pointed out that's important to this story is the, the way the Medes and Persians governed themselves, once a law was passed, you could not overturn it. Uh, you know, I am thankful, I said this last week, I'm thankful that in America they, they can repeal laws. Now, I do think it's interesting, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I think it's interesting that the way our founding fathers set up our Constitution is if anything's ever added to the Constitution, even if it later comes back and you repeal it, you don't erase it from the Constitution, it's left there. I don't know if you even knew that was the way it's set up, but it is. Uh, for example, when they passed prohibition, put it into the Constitution that it was illegal nationally to sell alcohol, that, that amendment to the Constitution is still in the Constitution. But a later amendment comes along and says, no, we repeal that. But it's still there. You, you can always go back and read it. That's the way they set it up. It was kind of like that for Median Persia, except that there was no repealing. Once the law was passed, it was passed. And you can't take it away, and you can't erase it. You can't do away with it. And so the king unwittingly allowed Haman to be able to pass a law that said you can kill the Jews anywhere you find them. Young, old, male, female, doesn't matter. Kill them all. And this is the law now of the Persians. There's a set time. It's going to be permitted. 
And, uh, and so the word gets out that the entire race is doomed. Which again shows the, 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 the anger of this man Haman. It was one man that was not bowing, but Haman wasn't satisfied to just attack the one man. He wanted to kill everybody that was associated with that man. Of course, he had no idea that that man's cousin was the queen. Hallelujah. I don't know if you... I hope that you see how providence is at work in all of this. I mean, if it had been just any Jewish girl who had been chosen to be the queen, the story would not have played out the way it did. But it wasn't just any Jewish girl. It was the adopted daughter of Mordecai, the man who is so hated by the prime minister. This is the hand of God that is working in all of this. And so the word began to be put out across all of the, uh, the reign of Persia. Uh, the Jews began to find out and, and the crisis began to come into focus at the end of chapter 3. We see what's happening. And, and, and I closed the lesson last week by, by putting forth this thought. I wonder how many of those Jews who had chosen not to go back to Israel were suddenly thinking, I should have left while I had the chance. <laughs> I, I got a feeling most of them were thinking that. Most of them probably realized, you know, I should have obeyed God when He spoke. But isn't it, isn't it interesting that, now while the Bible doesn't say they cried out to God, the Bible does speak of them fasting and crying, and mourning, and we understand that that's who they're talking to. Isn't it interesting that up until this point, I don't find them praying to God at all. They have no interest in what God has to say, but now that their neck is on the line, isn't this the way we work? Isn't it amazing how it's so hard to find time to pray until we've got a major problem going on in our life? And then all of a sudden, we've got plenty of time to pray. Well, hallelujah. All right, let's move on. Let's, let's go on into some new territory today. Chapter 4 uh, of the book of Esther. And it'd be good if you just open your Bible to chapter 4. Because uh, what I'm going to do as we go through this book is I'm going to point out many of these passages of Scripture so you get the story directly from the Word and understand what's going on here. Um, Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let's read. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice, with a loud and bitter cry, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and as decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ash. All right, now, what I want to point out, it was, it was Mordecai who, who began to spread the word and was instrumental in getting the Jews to put on the sackcloth, to begin to cry out, to begin to turn their hearts to God. Mordecai was the man who was leading them in this effort. To appeal to God for help. Now, here's what I find amazing. Here is now Queen Esther 
sitting in the comfort of her palace. She gets word that Mordecai is fasting. And you know what she does? She tries to stop him. Read verse 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she rent, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Understand this whole sackcloth was a part of the fasting process. It was a part of the mourning process. So what Esther's saying to Mordecai, stop fasting. I don't want you doing that. Well, that's interesting. But Mordecai sent word back to Esther. Let's let's read on verses eight through eleven. Also, he gave him the cop the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him. And to make request before him for her people. And Hatok came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hatok and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that, that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come in unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. All right, now, what more to Kai? He sent word back to Esther, and he said, Look, you need to go talk to the king about this law. You're his wife. Go talk to the king. We've got to have help. And she wrote back and said, uh-uh, not me. That's what she said. She said, there is a law that if anybody just goes in to talk to the king, they're put to death. The king kills anybody that shows up unannounced. Now, you'll remember last week we talked about Ahasuerus and, and his temperament and how extreme he was. And you never knew from one day to the next what he was going to do and how he was going to respond. You understand a little bit this fear that she has. And so she is afraid to go talk to the king. And she said, look, the king hasn't even asked to talk to me in 30 days. And you want me just to walk in unannounced? I can't do it. She's scared. And so, Mordecai responded to her fear with an extremely important lesson that all of us ought to learn. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. All right, now now look at what he said. He said, um, let me remind you of something, Esther. You're a Jew. The law says any Jew... That means that if somebody wants to kill you, the king cannot do anything about it. So don't think you're going to escape. 
Don't think you're going to remain up there in your comfortable spot while the rest of us down here are being slaughtered. Furthermore, verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace now, at this time... Now, I'll tell you something, Esther. If you hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement arise from another place. place. But thou and thy father shall be destroyed. You, you know, here's what Mordecai said. You're going to pay for your decision. If you won't do what what... It falls your lot to do. I'm telling you, God will send us a deliverer. But God's going to take care of you. Read. And who knows? And who knows? Whether thou art come whether to the kingdom for such a kingdom, time as this. For such a time as this. Mordecai is saying to Esther, Do you understand that it's very possible this is the reason you got chosen queen? Do you understand that it's very possible that this is divine providence that led you to this spot so that somebody who is close to the king's heart could make an appeal for God's people? This may be the whole reason you're on the throne, Esther. And if you blow this, God will find somebody else. You know, church, let me me just... Say this. Sometimes folks get to worrying about preachers getting too much power and 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 you know taking on too much authority. And but let me tell you, when God puts a man in a position, He puts him there for a reason and a purpose. And if that man blows it, I promise you, God's going to take care of that man. I promise you, enlargement and deliverance will arise from somewhere. But God will deal with that man that blows the position God put him in. That's the way it works. And that's exactly what Mordecai is saying to Esther. You know, Esther, this may very well be the only reason you're rid of the queen. You know, it'd be easy for you to think it's because of your good looks and your charming personality. But let me just tell you something, sweetheart. There were a lot of beautiful, charming women who went before the king in this. There's a reason why you were chosen. And it's probably because God had his hand in it. For this very incident. But do you see the wisdom of Mordecai? He was, he was quite the man. And this is why I say Mordecai plays such a large role in this whole book in so many ways. And so when he tells her this, she finally agrees, and um, let's see what she says. Verses 15 and 16. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast and, and, ye and for do what? And what? Fast. And, and do what? What was it she told Mordecai to stop doing? Well, well, well. She didn't want anybody to fast till her neck's on the line. Now she wants everybody to fast. Fast for me. And neither eat nor, neither drink, eat nor drink for three days. Night or, Night day. or day. I also and my, I also and my maidens. 
will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the, the king. And at the end of those three days, I will go before the king. Which is not according to the law. And, and she said, just remember that when I do, I'm breaking the law. And if I perish? And if I perish, I perish. Now, I've, I've, I've had people applaud Esther for this last statement. If I perish, I perish. They say what courage she had. I really, as the more I read the story, I really don't see a lot of courage. I'm sorry, I just really don't. What I see is fear. And what I see is she finally gets a revelation that, look, i got a choice here. If I don't go, I will die. If I do go, I might die. Kind of like the four lepers, right? Sitting outside the gate. So why sit we here till we die? If we just sit right here, we're going to starve to death. But if we go into the camp of the enemy, they might spare us as prisoners of war. And if they do, they'll feed us. Or they might kill us. But if they kill us, we're going to die if we sit here. So if we stay here, we will die. If we go there, we might die. So it's a better choice if we, you know, the might is better than will. Same thing Esther's saying. Okay. Yeah, all the Jews are going to die. Yeah, my days are numbered unless, unless the king will have mercy on me. So we're all going to fast. She said, I want every Jew to fast. In fact, I'm telling you how to fast. I want it to be three days, day and night. I want to make sure you understand this. Don't eat anything at night. Don't drink anything at night. You make sure this has got to be a complete and total fast for three solid days. And at the end of that, then I'll take my chances. So, this is how chapter 4 closes out. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Esther. Three days have passed. The fasting is over. Esther, I believe, very nervously, with great trepidation. You know, I can't prove this, but this is just the way I read the story. I believe she, she's, she's trembling as she approaches the throne room of the king. She knows there's one thing I'm watching when I open that door. He's got a scepter in his hand, and if he holds that out to me, I'm going to be all right. If he doesn't, I'm a goner. Now, understand, church, she remembers Vashti. Vashti didn't get to disobey And this wasn't really an act of disobedience against the king so much as it was just a violation of the law that was written. The king had not said, don't come. In fact, the law provided for exceptions. Are you with me? So she wasn't really breaking the law per se, unless the king decided, I didn't want you here. So she's, she's hoping for that one loophole. So, she, she finally opens the doors and steps into the throne room. Chapter 5, verse 2. Let's, let's read. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court. When the king saw her standing in the court. That she obtained favor, she in, obtained his sight. favor in his sight. And the king held and out, the to, king Esther held the out to Esther the golden scepter. 
that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And she touched the top of the scepter. What a relief it must have been to know the king has accepted me. He didn't kill me. I'm going to live. Do you understand how she felt that day? Can you get a little glimpse of what was going on in her mind? Her heart was probably pounding. Her head was feeling the throbs of the heartbeat. And when that scepter went out, it was the peace that must have settled upon her. She touched that scepter. But I'm going to tell you, she's still afraid. She's still afraid. Let me prove it to you. Verses 3 and 4. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. The king not only accepted her, but he knows she's taken a risk by being here. He knows that. The king knows the law. She took a risk by coming here. Esther, why have you risked your life to come? You're not here just to see my face. You're here because you want something. And I want you to know, Esther, I love you enough. That you can ask me anything you want up to half of my kingdom. And I'm going to give it to you. That's how much I love you. Wow. But look at verse 4. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now come on. She risked her life to invite him to supper. Honestly, did she really think that was going to fool the king? All I want is just to have supper with you tonight. But that's what she said. Now, I'm telling you, you know, to me it seems like the moment that scepter's out there and I got a hold of it, I'm saying, King, you've got to help us. Not Esther. She's still scared. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing supper for you tonight, King, and I, I want you to come. I, and, and, in fact, I want Haman to come, too. She knows who was responsible. I want Haman at this banquet too. So the banquet time rolls around. I want to show you the king saw through all this. Verse 6. Look at this. And the king said unto the Esther. The king said to Esther. At the banquet of wine. What is our petition? What? He knew. He knew full well she didn't risk her life to cook a meal. Now, you know, Esther believed that old adage, the way to a man's heart's through his stomach. (laughs) I guess that's what's going on in her mind. I don't know. But he says, what is that petition? It shall be. Do you understand what the king's telling her? Ask anything you want, Esther. I don't care what it is. You ask it. It's done. Even to the half of the kingdom. He says it again. Twice in one day he says it to her. You just tell me what you want. It's yours. Now, didn't I tell you he's a man of extremes? I told you that last week. A man of extremes. And this is what he's doing. Esther, I love you so much. I'll give you half of my kingdom. Wow. Did that persuade her? Keep reading. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is... My request is... I love the way that verse ends. 
my if petition I, and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king if I found favor in the sight of the king and if it please the king to grant my petition and the king is happy to do what I ask and to perform my request perform my request here's what I want let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them and I will do tomorrow as the king has said I'm cooking another meal tomorrow and I want you there I'm not making this up. This is what she said. Twice in one day, the king says, ask anything you want up to half the kingdom. It's yours. And twice in one day, she said, ah, just come eat with me. Now, again, I have to say it was providential that Esther didn't have this overwhelming peace to go ahead and ask the king because something needed to happen that night. I don't know what it was that brought about the insomnia that King Ahasuerus experienced that night, the night after the banquet. I don't know if she cooked something that was too spicy. I, I don't know what happened. But something was going on that night and the king could not sleep. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Because um, all that's in chapter 6. I'm getting ahead of myself. But back in chapter 5. So so he, he tells her, said, look, whatever you want. And she said, okay, here's what I want. Tomorrow, you and Haman, again, just the two of you. That's all I want. I'm fixing a banquet. I want just you and Haman. So Haman, you know, he's at this banquet too. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. And he goes home bragging to his wife. Verse 9. Esther chapter 5 verse 9. And then went Haman forth that day joyful and joyful, with a glad heart. With a glad heart. But when, now, now, now hang on. See he's proud because nobody else is being invited. Just me and the king. I mean that's a pretty high honor isn't it? If the queen says I don't want anybody but the king and you. That's a pretty high honor. So, man, his buttons are about to pop off his vest. He's strutting like a peacock. He's, I mean, he is one proud dude. And he is filled with joy and a glad heart. Read. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. All the... Air just went out of his balloon. I mean, this implies, he moved not for him, it implies that Haman was setting right in, or that Mordecai was setting right in Haman's path. And here comes proud Mordecai, nobody but the king and I. And he walks up and here's Mordecai, and Mordecai is sitting there and he just looks at him. Not only will he not bow, he won't get out of his way. Huh. And so now this joyful and glad heart, what happens? He was full of indignation against Mordecai. All the good things coming his way, and he can still only focus on the bad. I hope somebody gets a message out of this series of lessons on the book of Esther. I'm telling you, we have all been blessed. Yes, we have our problems. Yes, we have our difficulties. Yes, we've got our bad times. But don't focus on the bad. Understand God is still with you. God is still trying to help you. Quit looking at all the negative. 
you get so depressed and discouraged. And all you do is find what's bad. I said it last week. That's what the devil does to people in the church. He'll get somebody to see one little problem with the church, and all of a sudden, it's humongous. It is church-wide. Everybody's wrong. Everybody hates me. The whole church is backslid. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And all you can see is that one problem magnified a hundred times over. That's the way Haman was full of indignation against Mordecai. Verses 11 to 13. Now, Haman, what happens now, Haman finally gets home, and he's got his family and his friends there, and this is what this is where the story picks up. Verse 11. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches. Told the glory of his riches. And the multitude of his children. The multitude of his children. And all the things wherein the king had promoted him. Yeah. And how he had advanced. Him Boy, above he the is building himself the up to everybody that will listen. Verse 12. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen, the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet came that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also she, with the she's king. Already, she's already invited me to another banquet. Just me and the king. Yet all this availeth yep, me nothing. all this availeth me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai, so the long Jew, as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's sitting gate. at the king's gate. For all of the goodness that's come my way, I can't be happy because of one man. So, Haman's wife got a bright idea. She said, "Tell you what, you do, Haman." You've got favor with the king and the queen, obviously. Now, again, none of them know that Mordecai is Esther's cousin, all right? They don't even know she's a Jew. So, so Haman's wife says, you've got favor with the king. Go build you a gallows. You know, that was... A, a platform, a stage to hang someone from. And and don't just build a small one, but build it 75 feet tall. Make an example out of Mordecai. All you got to do is go talk to the king and the king will let you kill Mordecai. Well, Haman says, that's a good idea. And I like that. And so he immediately began building his gallows. All right? All this happens after the banquet that the king, the queen has prepared that night. Now, this is where chapter 6. Now, all this, remember, all this is leading up to the crisis. We're, we're at the crisis point now. Chapter 6, we're going to begin to see how the crisis is overturned. Chapter 6 is where the king is suffering from insomnia. He cannot sleep. He just can't get to sleep. No matter what happens, sleep eludes him. He, there's nothing he can do. And so he tosses and turns and finally he says, oh well, I'll just do some reading. So he gets out the book of the Chronicles 
of his kingdom. And he begins to read. And you know what's written in that book? A little story we had found in chapter 2. A story about a man by the name of Mordecai who overheard a plotted conspiracy. And Mordecai single-handedly stopped the king from being overthrown. And the king reads this. And he says, oh, I didn't know anything. Nobody told me this happened. I didn't know anything about it. Now, you remember last week when I talked about uh, somebody that had sent to the king a huge, you know, several million dollars, some five million dollars, and the king felt like it was an act of loyalty, and the king was so honored, he just sent the five million plus some back. I mean, boy, I'm, I'm telling you, Ahasuerus was big on loyalty. And so he reads this story about Mordecai being loyal and sparing his own life. And he says, I've got to do something for this guy. And so he calls his counselors in. And he says, what's been done for this man? And they said, nothing. We wrote it down. That, I mean, that's nothing else. Oh, 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 we, we can't let this go unrewarded. Something's got to be done to honor this guy. So he said, you know, I need some advice. Who, who happens to be at the palace right now? Verses 4 through 10. Let's read. And the king said, who chapter is in the six, court? Chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. The king said, who's in the court? Now Haman was coming now, to the outer, outward court of Haman, the house. Haman had gotten up early that morning with his plan to ask for the life of Mordecai. And Haman was already at the palace. Ready to ask his big request. And the king said, who's here? This is what he said. He said, Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he'd prepared. That's what he was there for. All right, read. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. Haman's out there. And the king said, Let him come in. Oh, man, I trust Haman. That's great that he's here. Let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said to him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now, that's all he's, he doesn't name names. He just asks Haman, What would you advise that I do to somebody that I really want to show honor to? Now, here's Haman's ego. Now, Haman thought in his heart, To whom? Would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? There's nobody the king likes better than me. So he says, uh, you know, I'm going to come up with a plan because the king's about to honor me and this is what I would really like to see happen. Read. And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which... Bring out the king's clothes. And the horse that the king rides Bring on. out the king's horse. And the crown royal. Bring out the king's crown. Which is set up on his head. And, and let this apparel let and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes. Let's take one of the highest men in your kingdom. That they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor. put all this on the man that you want to honor. And bring him on horseback bring through the street of the city. Through the streets of the city. And proclaim, and proclaim before him. 
Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor. Now you understand, Haman thinks it's me. And man, isn't this going to be a parade? I'm going to be on the king's horse wearing the king's crown and the king's clothes. And one of the high ups is going to be telling everybody, this is the way the king honors men that he delights in. Read. Then the king said to Haman, make haste. Make haste. And take the apparel and, and the take horse. take the apparel and the horse. The king says, great idea. And, and, and really, I mean, you're a noble. You said let one of the nobles do it. You're a noble in this kingdom. So you go get my clothes and you go get my horse. As thou hast said. As you have said. And do even and so do to Mordecai. So Can you imagine how Haman is feeling right now? You talk about bursting his bubble. You talking about, I, I mean, there is no lower blow than what he's feeling right now. He was, why was he there? He was there to ask the king to kill Mordecai. And before he can get it out of his mouth, the king said, take my garments, take my crown, take my horse, and you parade Mordecai through the streets of this city. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Do you see providence in all of this? This is not accident. This is not coincidental. This is the hand of God putting people exactly where He wants them to do what God wants done. Of course, Haman was not happy. And he rushed home in a fury. But I want you to listen now to the advice of his wife, who just a few hours before told him to build the gallows. Now listen to what she's saying. This is verse uh, 13. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise his men, wise men? Zeresh's wife, uh-huh. if Mordecai be the oh, seed of the Jews. Oh, hang on just a minute. If Mordecai is a Jew, before whom this changes the whole picture. This changes everything. When we told you what to do to Mordecai, we didn't know he was a Jew. If he's a Jew, this changes the whole story. If he be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not, shalt prevail, against not prevail against but him, but shalt surely but fall before him. Surely fall before him. That's not what Haman wanted to hear. But it was the truth. You can't fight the people of God. No weapon formed against God's people will prosper. If God be for us, come on church, if God be for us, who can be against us? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Come on, I'm telling you, this is the way it works. If we are on God's side, He's going to fight for us. 
Let them do what they want to do. Let them say what they want to say. They will not prevail in the end. (laughs) You're going to fall, Haman. You're going to fall. And you're going to fall before the very man that you've tried to destroy. Chapter 7. Chapter 7 tells about this banquet that takes place. And, and again, notice. Now, you know, let's, let's remember the story. She risked her life to walk into the throne room. He extends the scepter and he says to her, what is your request? What's your petition? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. She said, my request is come to supper tonight. They went to supper that night. And the king says again, you didn't risk your life for this supper. What's your request? What's your petition? I'll give you half my kingdom. She said, my request is come to lunch tomorrow. They come to lunch tomorrow. Haman is there. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with with Esther the queen. And the king said unto Esther. And the king said again. On the second day. second day. At the banquet of wine. What is thy petition, Queen Esther? What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. It shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? What is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the I'm kingdom. I'm telling you up to that. This is the third time in two days the, king's, the king has said these very words. The third time in two days. And Esther finally, ding, she gets a message. Hey, the king really means this. He's going to do what I ask him to do. You know, church, I don't want to get too sidetracked because time's slipping away from me. But let me just tell you something. What I see in these two chapters, I see most of the church. We are afraid to ask God for what we really desire. We have this attitude about our king. He doesn't want to help me. Not me. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. God may answer everybody else's prayers, but he's not going to answer mine. And we're scared to death to ask. And I love the fact that this third time in two days, the king says to her, not just Esther, but Queen Esther. Do you understand who you are? Do you understand you're married to the most powerful man in the world? Just tell me what you want. I want to give it to you. I'm telling you, church, Jesus made the statement one time. He said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. God gets pleasure out of answering our prayers. He loves us. We're His bride. Would you hear me today? Quit being afraid to go into his throne room. That's why the the, the apostle said that we should enter boldly before the throne of grace. Let's just walk in there. The king's waiting on us. He doesn't want to destroy us. He doesn't want to tell us no. He loves us. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to give us the desire of our hearts. And so finally, after being made the same offer three times in two days, finally, Esther revealed the real reason for all that she had done. Verses 3 and 4 read, Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition. 
and my people at my request. Now notice the way she's saying it. It's my life and my people. Read. For we are sold. Because we've been sold. I and my people, I and to, my be people to be destroyed. To be slain, to be slain and, to and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. She said, I want you to understand something, king. I want you to understand that my people, I and my people are about to be killed. The king's already expressed his deep love for Esther. And so when he hears this, can you imagine what he's feeling? He is absolutely furious. Remember the extremes of this man. I mean, he is in a fit of rage. Who did this? Who is it that's threatening you and your people? I want to know his name. There's only three people at the banquet table. The king, the queen, and Haman. The king is in a fit of anger. Tell me, who is trying to destroy you and your people? Esther was not afraid to answer that question. Verses 5 and 6. Then the king had you answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? he? And where is he? Where is he? That dares presume presume in his heart to do such a thing. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this this man at the table. Now, you think this is not an understatement? Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. You better believe he was afraid. You better believe he was afraid. Hmm. Now, the king was so angry. He was beside himself, so angry. The Bible says he got up and stormed out of that room trying to decide what is he going to do. What am I going to do? This is Haman. Haman has betrayed me trying to kill my own wife and her people. What am I going to do to him? He is so mad. He storms out. Now what happens when the king leaves the room is just Haman and Esther there. Understand, you know, in ancient days, they didn't sit in straight chairs at a table. They reclined on couches, sofas, beds, the Bible called them. They reclined to eat. So the queen is reclining on her sofa. The king storms out. It just leaves her and Haman. Haman runs to the queen and grabs her to plead for his life. And the moment he grabs the queen, the king walks back in. It's in your Bible. Read it. Read it. She's laying back on this couch and Haman has a hold of her and the king walks in. 
not good. Verse 8. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. Yeah, go ahead and read. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Yeah, see, so he was fallen on the bed where Esther was. Then said the king, will he force the the king also before me in the house? Will he force the queen before me in my own house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Understand, this this term, covering someone's face, this was the ancient practice. In fact, it still is done in some places. That when someone is about to be executed, they would put something over their face. Cover their heads. Put put a, a pillowcase or something to cover their face before they're executed. And so what happened, as soon as the king said this, everybody around knew what he meant. It's over. Before Haman could even walk out, they already had his head covered, preparing him for destruction. Now, the method of execution was both ironic and providential. Verses 9 and 10. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows. The gallows. Fifty cubits high. Fifty cubits high. Most most scholars will tell you that a cubit is about a foot and a half. So fifty cubits is seventy five feet high. All right. So so Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, "Behold, there is a gallows that's seventy five feet high, which Haman had made. Haman made to kill the man you just honored, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the the house. The man who spoke." for the king and Haman wanted to kill him. Boy, it's all pouring out now, isn't it? And that gallow stands in the house of Haman. Then the king said, the king hang said, him thereon. Hang him on the gallows he built for someone else. You know, church, there are so many things that I, I can throw, and I've got to hurry because really we're so close to the end that I hate to I hate to carry this out another week. But I'm going to tell you something. We better be careful when we start building a gallows for someone else. We better be careful when we start setting up to try to destroy someone else with our words, with our actions. When we set about to try to bring someone else to destruction, I'm telling you, God has a way. Of bringing us back to face the very gallows we have built. Hang him there on. And so, chapter 8, the first act of vengeance. And I'm going to have to skip over some of these verses for time's sake. You can read it. But in chapter 8, in fact, I hope that by the time today's over with, you just feel like going home and reading the book of Esther. It's. It's an interesting book. Ten chapters is not that long. And um, really wouldn't take you that long to read it. But it's, it's an interesting story. But in chapter 8, the very first thing that happens is that King Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman to Esther. And Mordecai walked in. And the king pulled off his 
royal ring and put it on the hand of Mordecai. And he said, I'm, I'm allowing you to have everything that belonged to Haman. It's yours. Now, understand that they still have a dilemma. Haman's been killed, but there's still a law in the books that cannot be repealed. And the Jews are still scheduled to die. And so Esther said, we've got to have some help here, king. And the king said, i tell you what, Esther, I'm going to let you write the law. You write whatever you want to write. I don't care. You write it. We can't repeal it, but you've got to find a way to deal with this without overturning the law. I mean, wouldn't that have been the best thing if they could have just said, oh, forget that one, we're scratching that one off the books, but it didn't work that way in Persia. So Esther wrote the law. And, and here's what it said. Let's, let's skip down to verses 11 and 12. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in the in every city, to gather themselves together and to gather stand together, for their life, stand for their life, to destroy, to destroy, to slay, slay, and to cause to cause perish. To per- all same the, words. All the power of the people and province that would assault them. Anybody that would assault them, both little ones and women, little ones and women, and to take the spoil of the prey. Now, now here's what he said. This this was the law. We can't repeal what was there, but I tell you what, we're going to give you the same power to do to your enemies what they want to do to you. And we're going to let you head this thing off at the pass. We're going to give you a head start. And you go out there and destroy anybody that looks crossways at you. And if you destroy your enemies before they get a chance, the law's still going to be in place. But who's going to risk turning against you? So that was the law. And it went one day... Upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely, upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adolf. That's the way it started, all right? Now, this announcement, we've got to read verses 16 and 17 so you can see there's two things that happen now, two significant reactions that take place. Let's let's hear it. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy joy, Joy and gladness, gladness, a feast and a good day. Yeah, they had a good day. (laughs) It's finally a good day. All right? And many of the people of the land became Jews. So the first thing that happened as a result is the people were overjoyed. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? People are overjoyed. We get to defend ourselves. In fact, we get to strike preemptively. But the second thing that happened, many of the people of the land became Jews. Jews. All of a sudden, they're having a revival. They're seeing converts come in. Now, let me tell you something. They've been in captivity for a long time. I don't read of any other point in history in which there were mass conversions to Judaism while the Jews were in captivity. Now, they've been in Persia all this time, even back when it was Babylon. I mean, they were there, but they weren't converting anybody. They were too worldly to convert anybody. But after their hearts turned back to God and they began to do what God wanted them to do, do you see the results? Yeah. 
seeing others converted is a part of what comes when we really begin to cry out to God and get ourselves where God wants us to be. It's a natural response that takes place. Give me just a few more minutes here. And, and we've only got two chapters, and one of those is very, very short. But, but uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 5, let's read that quickly. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies smote their with enemies the stroke of the, the sword, sword and slaughter and destruction, destruction and did what they would, what they those would to those that hated them. And then verse 10. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hands. Now this, the, and, and this is an amazing thing. In fact, you can see as they went about destroying others, it's an amazing thing because the original law that would allow people to destroy the Jews said you can take whatever belongs to them as spoil. Take all their belongings. When you kill them, you have everything they, they want. The Jews had the same thing put into their law, but they said, we're not taking it. All we want to do is protect ourselves. We're not out for vengeance. Well, praise God. And so on that day, they killed 500 of their enemies and had the ten sons of Haman hung. And they were all hung on the gallows that their dad had built. Now, this wasn't enough. Esther went back before... She's kind of gotten her, her spine now, you know. She's gotten a little bit of a backbone. She understands how much the king loves her. She walks back to the king and said, i got another request. What is it? She said, we need one more day. We didn't get enough accomplished in the first day. We need one more day. king said, you can have it. So they got a second day granted that they could do the same thing. The second day, they destroyed 300 more just in the city of the palace. But the total slain was 75,000 in the outlying provinces. And as a result, they declared a feast day. And that feast day is kept unto this day. Amen. And uh, it is it is the uh, the feast of Purim, and and the Jews to this day still honor what happened, and um, and and so you can read all about the keeping of that feast through the remainder of chapter nine. I'm I'm closing. Musicians come. You you can you can read about the keeping of that feast in chapter nine. Chapter ten. We'll read just one verse of scripture here in chapter ten, and uh, this is verse number three. Chapter ten, verse three says this: For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus. Not only, not only was he given Haman's house and property, he is now put into Haman's position. Mordecai is now the prime minister. Now you talk about a change. From chapter 1 to chapter 10 in this book. From a people that are hated, despised, and under threat of death. Now all of a sudden, one of them is the queen. Another one of them is the prime minister. The fear of them is throughout the land. And many people that were not Jews became Jews. You talk about God turning things around. Listen to me, church. I want you to understand. It is important that we remember Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19. Listen to this. Dearly beloved, Dearly avenge, beloved not yourselves. avenge not yourselves. But rather give place, but give wrath. place to wrath. For it is written, because it is written, Vengeance, vengeance is, mine. is mine. I will repay. And I 
they will repay, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, God means what He says. If you're going to try to take God's vengeance into your hands, you're going to suffer for it. But if you stand back, the old song says, if I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles, victory, victory shall be mine. I'm preaching a new life this morning. I'm telling you, if we'll let God fight these battles, if we'll let God take care of our problems, if we'll keep our hands off of it, God can turn it around so much better than what we can. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. I'm telling you, you get your hands on it, you're going to make a mess. But you just take your hands off of it. And you let God fight this battle. And if you'll let Him fight it, God knows how to work His purpose. Aren't you thankful for the divine providence of God that works in our lives? Let's stand and lift our hands to Him. Let's thank Him right now for His goodness to us. Come on, everybody. Let's give the Lord some praise in this house. Come on, let's give Him some praise. Come on, let's give Him some praise. Hallelujah. Come on, saints. I'm telling you, whatever you're going through, give it to God today, would you? Whatever you're going through, give it to God. Put it in God's hands. Trust in Him. He'll bring you through it. Hallelujah. Go ahead and sing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Does anybody believe that? Shall be mine. Shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold the peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Victory, victory shall be mine. 